So John is writing to people who are suffering. They're asking questions. Where is God? He's with you. He's on the throne. And He holds your future in His hands. Well, why is this happening? Everything, every crisis that ever happens to you is vitally connected to your faith. Because a crisis will test the quality of your faith and it serves the purpose of strengthening your faith if you and I will allow it. Well, what's about to happen to us? Well, <laughs> the situation is going to get worse, increasingly worse, but then it'll get better. But it will get worse before it gets better. Well, what's going on behind the scenes? That's when we look to chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the Revelation. And John is enabled to see what's going on behind the scene. Look with me to chapter 13. We looked at chapter 12 this morning. We'll look at chapters 13 and 14 this evening. Verse 1. And the dragon, we've already identified the dragon. Tell me who he is. Satan. Satan. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. Now, a fatal wound means dead, but it's been healed. And this is the beast. Hmm. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Now skip to verse 11. Still in chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast... Coming out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the beast to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now then skip to chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and the elders. John and his readers are in a crisis. 
For the first three chapters of the Revelation, all they can see is their crisis from an earthly viewpoint. And it's all they see. It looks never ending to them. It looks all consuming and overwhelming to them. Beginning with chapter four, John is invited up into heaven so that he can see the crisis from a heavenly perspective. He's already seen it from an earthly perspective. Now he sees it from a heavenly perspective, the big picture perspective. And even though the crisis is still intense, it doesn't look nearly as intense from a heaven perspective. A tractor trailer looks really big until you look at it from 30,000 feet in the air in a jet. When you look from there, it looks more like an ant than it does a tractor trailer. Things look different from a heavenly perspective. And that heavenly perspective begins with chapter 4. Beginning with chapter 6 and going through chapter 18, John answers the question about their future. The seven seals affects one quarter of the earth. The seven trumpets affects, affects one third of the earth. And the seven bowls affect all of the earth. And then right in the middle of those 13 chapters, there is a three chapter section, Revelation 12, 13, and 14, in which John He's already seen the perspective from earth and the perspective from heaven, but now he is invited to see the behind the scenes. What is going on behind the scenes? Well, I didn't even know anything was going on behind the scenes. Most people, even most Christians, think that when they're in a crisis, it's just the crisis that is occurring. But what the scriptures tell us is that in the middle of your crisis or behind the scenes of your crisis, there is a cosmic battle going on between the forces of righteousness and the forces of evil, the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And this cosmic battle has been going on almost from the beginning of time. We saw part of that in chapter 12. Let me just review what we saw. Five things. First, we saw a woman about to give birth. And who was she? Well, she was kind of like Mary because she gave birth. Mary gave birth to to the Messiah. And this woman gives birth to the Messiah. She was kind of like Israel. That nation through that God used to bring the Messiah to us. So she was kind of like Mary, kind of like Israel. She was kind of like the church in that after the drag, after the child was born, the Bible says the dragon started making war on the offspring of the woman. Well, the offspring of the woman is the, uh, is the children of God, which is the church of today. So she kind of looks like Mary. She kind of looks like Israel. She kind of looks like the church. Let's just say she represents the people of God. The woman is the people of God. The next thing we saw was a red dragon, and it's pretty obvious who the red dragon was. Uh, Ten heads, seven uh, seven heads, ten horns. He had uh, a long tail, and with that tail, he reached up and grabbed a third of the stars, which we said were angels, out of the sky, which we said was heaven. And then we saw a child born who would rule the nations... This woman gave birth to a child. Get the picture. The dragon is is hovering over the woman in the labor room. Hoping that as soon as that child is born, he will snatch the child up and destroy it. 
He tried to do it with Herod. He tried to do it with the Pharisees. He tried to do it with Satan and temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. He tried to do it with Judas. He tried to do it on the cross. And none of them succeeded. Because the Bible says in that chapter that as soon as the child was born, he was snatched up into heaven. Now, was he snatched up on the day he was born? No. This is symbolic language. Jesus was here on this earth somewhere between 30 and 35 years. Scholars don't know exactly how long it was. His ministry started when he was about 30 years old. We believe he was born sometime around the year 6 B.C. and that he died somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 A.D., but we don't know that for sure. But even if he was here 36 years, he was born and wasn't snatched up until at least 36 years later, if he was 36 years old when he died. So this is symbolic language. As soon as he was born, he was snatched up to God in the throne. And we know that snatching up represents the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of this child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're, we're, we're told in that same chapter, there was a war in heaven. Now, this didn't happen after the child was born and ascended. It happened way back in ancient ages in the past, before Adam and Eve were even created. This war happened between Michael and his angels, the angels of God on one hand, and the dragon, who we know is Lucifer, and his angels on the other hand, they're warring in heaven because Lucifer wants to be God. He wasn't the first person who wanted to be God or thought he or she were God. And he makes war. And the Bible says that Michael and his angels beat, defeated, overwhelmed Lucifer and his angels. And they were thrown out of heaven to the earth. Well, then what did they do? The Bible says that the last thing in that chapter, number five, is this dragon, Satan, once he's hurled down to earth, he makes war against the woman's offspring. Who is that? You. Did you know that Satan has declared war on you? Wants to destroy you. He'd love to make alcoholic, drug addict, ruin people out of every person in this building. He'd love to break up every marriage in this church. He'd love for every child to be rebellious. He'd love for every father not to go to church. He'd love for every, uh, every person to stop praying and stop getting into Scripture. He'd love that. He's making war on the woman's offspring, which are the people of God. That's chapter 12. Now chapter 13, we see three things. The first thing we see in Revelation 13 is we see a beast coming out of the sea. Now remember, John is speaking specifically to the members of seven churches who are citizens of the Roman Empire. They are being persecuted. And so now he's, he's gone in chapter 12 from the cosmic battle throughout all history, and he's zeroing down to the very crisis that they are facing, and he begins talking about this beast coming out of the sea. Re Revelation 13, verse 1, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns, seven heads, 
with 10 crowns on his horns. Okay, now, who does this represent? Uh, There's a lot of debate over who this represents. If you uh, read a lot of the popular books today, you'll find that that, uh, a lot of people believe that this beast is something called the Antichrist. And these books may be right. I don't know. I don't agree with that, but that is the popular interpretation of what this beast is, the Antichrist. The only thing I would say about that is, you can search the Revelation through and through. The word Antichrist is not in the Revelation at all. The only place you see it is in First and Second John, which may or may not have been written by the same John who wrote the Revelation. But in First and Second John, you find uh, two or three things about the Antichrist. First of all, the Antichrist was already present when John was writing. They were with us, he says, and they went out from us, and these are the Antichrists, he says. They were already there. The second, he says, the Antichrist is a spirit of Antichrist. And you can look at a couple of other things he says, but in the Revelation, you don't find the word. And so for me, for me, I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying here now. For me, I'm I'm not believing that this beast is the Antichrist who would come at the end of the age. This was a dragon that stood on, this was a beast that was coming out of the sea. Have you ever looked at a map of Italy? Hello? Tell me what the shape is of Italy. What is it? It's a boot. It's a boot that's going out into the sea. You know where Rome is? Rome's in Italy. This represents, I believe, the Roman Empire. The ten horns, I believe, represent the Roman emperors. And the seven heads represents, did you ever know that Rome, the city of Rome, was built on how many hills? Tell me. Seven hills. Ten horns, the emperors, seven heads, the hills, and the the, uh, beast, on his ten horns, there were ten crowns, and each head had a blasphemous name. Here's a blasphemous name. If you take something that's not God and you call it God, that's blasphemy. Hello? If you take something that's not God and you call it God, that's blasphemy. That's a blasphemous name. What did the Roman emperors believe? They believed they were, say it, God. That's blasphemy. The Roman emperor Nero, who lived in the 60s AD, he had Paul beheaded. You know why? Because Paul refused to worship him, among other things. He had Simon Peter crucified according to traditional legend. And and according to that tradition, Peter was crucified upside down. Why? Because he refused to give up Christ and call Nero God. In the 90s, when John was living, the Roman emperor was not Nero, it was Domitian. And Domitian required people throughout the Roman Empire to get on their knees and say, Caesar is Lord. You know what that is? That's blasphemy. Who is your God? Each each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a, a, a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, who is the devil, gave the beast, who I believe for John's readers' purposes is the Roman Empire, gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. 
Now, if the heads of the beast, those ten heads, represent the Roman emperors, and one of them had a fatal wound, and yet it was a fatal wound. If you have a fatal wound, what does that mean? It means you are dead. If, if I get a fatal wound, I am dead. But he says he had a fatal wound that had been healed. How about that for a twist? Did you know that the Roman emperor Nero who killed Paul after he died, it was believed throughout the Roman Empire that he would come back to life. Did you know that? Everybody believed he'd come back to life. Did you know that in the 90s, from, from 90 to 96 AD, when the Roman emperor Domitian came to power and he started persecuting Christians in much the same way Nero did, do you know what people in Rome said about Domitian? Do you remember? Have you, have you read that history? This is Nero resurrected. Did you know that? So there are 10 heads on this beast, which is the Roman Empire, the 10 heads of the Roman emperors. One of them has a fatal wound. I believe that's Nero, but he's been healed. They thought he'd been brought back to life. Second thing you see, that's the beast coming out of the sea. Second, the beast coming out of the earth. Verse 11, I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. In other words, he acted on the authority of the Roman Empire and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Who is the, the beast head who's had a fatal wound, but now is healed. Well, Nero was the one with a fatal wound, but Domitian is the one who is thought to have been Nero resurrected. Stay with me. And so who is, who, who, this second beast has the authority of the first beast, the authority of the Roman Empire to make people worship the beast with the fatal wound that had been healed. In other words, had the authority to make them worship the emperor Domitian. If you study the history of the Roman Empire at about this time, you know, the emperor Domitian could not be everywhere. And so he sent out people, soldiers, officers. Some of them were called priests, but the whole group of people were called the Roman Imperial Cult. The Roman Imperial Cult imperial cult. And they went out and they were given authority. You go out throughout the Roman Empire and you tell people that they must bow down and say Caesar is Lord and worship Caesar. And if they don't, you are to persecute them. Those who, who are willing to throw away everything else and worship Caesar, give them a mark. For some of them, it was a mark on their wrist. For some of them, it was a mark on their forehead. It was some sign that let everybody know these people are loyal to the Roman Empire. But to those who did not bow down and worship Caesar, they did not get the mark. And the, the emperor, uh, the emperor let, sent out a decree that said this. If you come into a business to do business with a merchant and you see that merchant and that merchant does not have the mark on his or her forehead or his wrist, you are to walk out. You're not to do business with them. 
That happened. And it's interesting. It's interesting uh, when you think about that, because listen to what. Listen to what verses 15 through 17 say. Now, listen to this. He, this other beast, this what I'm calling the Roman imperial cult, imperial cult, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, the Roman Empire. Verse 16, he forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so I believe this first beast is the Roman Empire, including all of its emperors. The second beast, I believe, that John was talking about to his readers, was this imperial cult that had the authority to go out and carry out this forced worship of the emperors. But then, there's a third thing we see here. And we see, that is, that we see a lamb standing on Mount Zion. <laughs> chapter 14. Then I look. Now he's already seen a dragon. He's already seen a dragon making war. He's already seen terrible atrocities. He's seen a beast coming out of the sea. He's seen uh, a, a beast that carries out the uh, authority of the first beast, the second beast that carries out the, the authority of the first beast. I mean, he's seen some frightening stuff. And then chapter 14 opens up and it says this. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. You know where Mount Zion is? There is an ancient city built on Mount Zion. You know the name of the city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on a hill, on a mountain, Mount Zion. And on Mount Zion, there's another mount. Do you know the name of it? On Mount Zion, on a mount, there's another small mount, another little hill. You know what it's called? Mount Calvary. He said, I saw a beast out from the sea and I saw a beast on the earth and I saw this dragon making all kinds of noise. But then I looked and the last thing he looked was the best thing he saw. I looked and I saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion and behind him were 144,000 people who were his followers. Now, 144,000, you can do the math. It's a multiple of 12. You can go throughout the revelation. Every time you see a multiple of 12, it represents God's people. Twelve disciples, twelve patriarchs, twenty-four elders around the throne, 144,000, all of the people of God. This is not meant to be a literal number. This is, this is the culmination of all the people of God who are victorious because of what the Lamb did on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the hill of victory, ladies and gentlemen. What he saw was the lamb on the hill of victory. So what is John trying to say to these people? He's saying, look, things are bad. Behind the scene, things are bad. Dragons, beast, another beast. People are hurting, even behind the scenes. But he said, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. He said, there is a lamb. Standing on Mount Zion. 
and the last word is his. And if you are his, and the last word is his, you will be victorious with him. That's what the revelation is about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about comforting Christians in crisis and letting them know in reality, things are going to be bad. Things may get worse. But in the end, the lamb is the one who's on Mount Zion. And the throne is not in Rome. The throne is on Mount Zion. We can make it through this. You know, when you're in a crisis, when it all comes down to it, you know what you know what you and I need to hear when we're in a crisis? Really, it's real simple. We need to hear this simple sentence. We will make it through this. And this will not defeat us. That's what we must hear. And that's what John was saying to these people. And that's what John is saying to you. You will make it through this. This will not defeat you because the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. Let's pray. Lord, from where we sit and stand, sometimes the crisis is so thick we can't see anything else. We're grateful to you, though, Lord, that in your word you show us behind the scenes. And when we look behind the scenes, you're very realistic with us. Things don't look so good at first. There's a lot of craziness going on around us. But Lord, when the dust settles and the fog lifts and the lightning stops and the thunder is silenced and the sun comes back out, we look in the distance on top of Mount Zion and we see the Lamb standing on the mountain. And we know, we know that victory is ours because victory is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for anybody who might be in this, in this worship service tonight who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Help them to know that victory only comes in that relationship. And Lord, help them to come tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.